Naye Lupondwana on SAFM. Once again, good evening to you and welcome. You're listening to Facts of Faith with me, and Our question for tonight, what would a just resolution be for those challenged by what is happening now in the West Bank? Uh, what might happen in the West Bank done by a unilateral move by, uh, well, the state of Israel to a next part of the West Bank against many of the resolutions of the United Nations? Now, remember... But this conversation happens on the back of a, a very interesting, a very interesting viewpoint from the Chief Justice of the Republic of South Africa, Chief Justice Mohueng Mohueng. And uh, his views received many, many comments, some for and some against. I will not dare to suggest which are in the majority and which are in the minority, but the Chief Justice dared to use scripture as his predicate for his views. And I want you to remember very well, in spite of the fact that he is the Chief Justice of the (laughs) Constitutional Court of the Republic of South Africa, the highest ranking jurist in the Republic, he did say, he's saying what he's saying because he's entitled as a citizen of the Republic. Like all citizens of the Republic are entitled to share their views, he too is entitled to share his views. That's what he said, to be fair. Now, this is not to negate the fact that he was invited to participate, we are told, in that webinar on his capacity as the Chief Justice of the Constitutional Court of South Africa. But in that webinar, he quoted scripture. And that is why perhaps we need to have an understanding from faith communities what exactly would be a scripturally proper resolution to the situation faced in the Middle East right now. Joining us now to give us some perspective, Professor Farid Isak is a professor in religion, religious studies at the University of Johannesburg and a board member of the Africa for Palestine. Professor Isaac, good evening to you. Thank you very much once again for agreeing to talk to us. Pleasure. Good evening to you and your listeners. Also joining us on the line is Shai Fleischer. Hoping I'm reading that correctly. International spokesperson for the Jewish community of Hebron. He is um, also a columnist for the Daily Wire, Jewish Press and uh, JNS. And he is a staunch defender of Jewish rights to Judea and Samaria. Uh, 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 Mr. Fleischer, can you hear me? I can hear you great. Thank yeah. you for having me on the show. Yeah, good evening to you, and thank you very much for agreeing to talk to us. Also, we do have um, Bishop Malusim Bumran, General Secretary of the South African Council of Churches. Good evening to you, Bishop. Once again, thank you very much for agreeing to talk to us. Good evening. Thank you for having me. Let's jump right in. Perhaps I might as well begin with Yeshai Fleischer, um, a, a newbie to our conversations here on Facts of Faith. Uh, when, when you're listening to what has been said both 
by the Chief Justice and those who are against what he said. And I want to say this once again. We're trying to use religion as the Chief Justice used scriptures to base his views. Um, is there any legitimacy, first and foremost, to any support for or against Israel, for or against uh, the state of Palestine, or, well, Palestine as it wants to be a state? First thing, I think it's great that you have a chief justice like Mukhwain Mukhwain. I think it's a man of principle, and, and South Africa is lucky to have a man like him. Look, our rights to the land of Israel derive from a few different, a few different directions. Uh, first is our historical connection to this land, which was recognized in international law. Uh, that was in the 20s when the world uh, wanted to see the Jewish people return to the land of Israel, especially Christian folks. Uh, and they wrote, at the time, they wrote the Mandate for Palestine, where they said that they give recognition to the historical connection of the Jewish people with Palestine. That's what they understood Palestine to be a Jewish term, and their grounds for reconstituting their national home in that land. Uh, our rights also derive from purchase. We've purchased tens of thousands of acres in Dunam from absentee Arab landowners. They sold it because it wasn't, they weren't interested in holding onto that land. We also have rights in defensive war. Uh, we've been attacked in 1948, in 1967, in 1973 we were attacked, and the point of the attack was to completely annihilate the Jewish people, but Israeli army and maybe God's hands gave us strength to overcome our enemies, and so we have rights because we won defensive war. And, of course, we also beautified the land. We took an almost empty land, uh, uh, one that wasn't really cultivated, and beautified it today. It's a flourishing land. Uh, and then it gets to your question, which is the godly promise. If you believe in the Bible, then you know that 3,800 years ago, a Father Abraham purchased property in Hebron. That's chapter 23 in the book of Exodus. 3,000 years ago, King David made his capital there. That's at the end of the second book of Samuel. The Gospels of both Matthew and Luke placed the birth of a Jew named Jesus in Bethlehem. And therefore, the Jewish people lived in the time, of course, of Jesus, who was a Jew in the heart of the land of Israel. Islam also recognizes that. You have people like Imam Abdul uh, Palazi who say that the right way to read the verse uh, in Surah 5, verse 21, Oh, my people, enter the Holy Land, which God has given you, and also the Quran, chapter 17, verse 104. And therefore we said to the children of Israel, Dwell in the land where the promise of everlasting life comes. We shall bring you all there together. So there are many verses in both Judaism, in Christianity, and in Islam, all recalling the connection of the Jewish people to the land of Israel, international law, victory in war, purchase. There are so many reasons why really the Jewish people are the natives, the real natives, the indigenous people uh, of the land of Israel, and we are very thankful to God and to our country for helping us come back to it. Very interesting representations there, Yeshai Flasher. But then again, the United Nations chief seems to be in disagreement with what you're saying. Quite frankly, the body, and by body I'm referring to the United Nations, they seem to be in total disagreement with you. And I want to quote something from the United Nations media that says, and I'm quoting verbatim, it reads, a quote-unquote watershed moment that will constitute a most serious violation of international law. That is how United Nations chief Antonio Guterres has described Israel's plans to annex parts of the occupied West Bank and Jordan Valley. We'll stop, close quote. Is it wrong? Is the entire United Nations wrong? And you're right, Ms. Fleischer. Absolutely. The United, States, the United Nations is an organization that has become complicit uh, in really dictatorships 
and ideas that uh, of of really uh, people that want to destroy Israel uh, want to see it, uh, it the Jewish people not there at all. They don't respect our tribal history. They don't respect our land. Uh, but there are many people, including your chief justice, and including uh, others in your country, uh, who who recognize the Jewish people's historical connection to the land. I want to remind you, by the way, that we are uh, six million Jews amongst uh, 400 million Arabs, and we are a Semitic tribe like they are. They have 22 countries around us. We have our small country, Israel. It's a biblical country. It's a historical country. As I said before, war and purchase. And the United Nations, sadly, is complicit in an effort to actually throw away the very laws that were written in the League of Nations with the United Nations accepted and also the recognition of Israel in 1947. And so, uh, yeah, sadly, there are forces today arranged against us. We are a tough people. The Bible calls us a stiff-necked people, and there's a bad side to that, but there's also a good side to that, which is we can get through uh, the United Nations just like we got through Rome and Greece and Babylon and Persia and, and the, the Crusaders and the uh, Turks and the Jordanians and the British. So, too, we shall uh, get through the United Nations and continue to hold on to our ancestral land, our native land. All right. In spite of the fact that the United Nations has called what you're doing a violation of international law. Hold the thought. I want to bring in Professor Isak shortly after the break. Stand by. Hashtag SAFM Facts of Faith. Welcome back and thank you very much for sticking around. The question we're trying to get answered for tonight, tonight is what would a just resolution be like to the challenges faced by all concerned, all involved in the state of Israel, in the state of Palestine, or shall I state the anticipated and the envisaged two-state solution that has been bandied about ever since the 48 situation. Now, I'm listening to what Mr. Fletcher is saying and a lot of things come to mind and I want to share them with you so that you understand why I ask the question the fashion that I ask it. Well, again, this is also from the United Nations. At the United Nations SC meeting, Nikolai Mladenov, the United Nations Peace Envoy for the Middle East, warned of the legal security and economic implications of such a move. And this is what he has been quoted to have said, and I quote, Annexation could irrevocably alter the relationship of or the relation of Israeli-Palestinian relations. It risks appending a quarter of a century of international efforts in support of a future viable Palestine or Palestinian state. That's what Mladenov said. And that's why I've been asking the questions I've been saying because not only the UN chief but also the peace envoy to the Middle East. Let's bring in now Professor Isak. He's again professor in religious studies at the University of Johannesburg and a board member of Africa for Palestine. Professor, you're listening to what Mr. Fleischer is saying. You've heard what the uh, chief justice said and you're observing what is happening and what is what just might happen in uh, the Middle East right now. Your response? Uh, well, first of all, um, uh, it was as if I was listening to some, uh, well, uh, really some apartheid, white supremacists uh, covered in uh, religious garb. But every single point that he made, uh, the question of we purchased it, uh, we, we gained it by war, and God's hand was with us in that war, Oh, there was an empty land that we found, and these people, they didn't appreciate it. We beautified it. God promised to us. Every single point that he made as a South African, it resonates with all the rhetoric that we have heard from Afrikaners, Dons, 
uh, hierarchy from the apartheid church, uh, the most right-wing element in the church, not even the whole church. So all this justification that he has, they can be rebutted point by point, um, but he threw it out just like this as usual talking point. Um, but it all resonates with me, um, uh, Rabbi Flesher. I understand all of the arguments that you made. We're familiar with them. We've lived with them for centuries. It was the colonial myth about South Africa and God's promise in the Bible to uh, the Afrikaners, God's supremacy, God being on their part and the empty land and so on. We're very familiar with it, and so is the people in the country. Um, the truth is this, I mean, this all the things about, oops, we are only 6 million Jews amongst uh, 40 million Arabs, that's all there is. No, it's not just a question of being Arabs. We're talking about Palestinians, people who are children of the land, as much as many of the indigenous Jews are children of the land. Your problem is that you are reducing God to a tribal God. In fact, you use the word, your, your resort to tribal history. So your God is a narrow God. Your God is a tribal God. Um, your God is like, you know, a soccer mascot uh, uh, for a particular team where people pray uh, to God to give them victory against another team. And so I'm afraid the language that we are going to be engaging in, it's like somebody speaking um, in uh, Greek and another person speaking in English. Uh, we can look at our scriptures for personal inspiration, but to use scriptures that date back to 3,000 years, to use those scriptures as if they are contemporary land ownership deeds, it is just quite absurd. I mean, one lives in some kind of cuckoo land, but not, okay, not only cuckoo land, but cuckoo land that has very serious human rights implications for people who share that land. Unfortunately, your tribal God is not their God. And so they, they share that land. In international law, they share that land. Uh, historically, they've been there for thousands of years. Um, but uh, because your ultimate argument, like pathetically that of our country's chief justice as well, God has whispered to us. And uh, whatever he whispered to you is of no consequences. So ultimately we're dealing with uh, com two competing gods here. Are we talking about the God of humankind? Or are we talking about the God of a particular tribe? And until this uh, is not resolved uh, between us, I'm afraid, we're really not going to get anywhere with your continuous uh, God is uh, on our side. God is the God of the of humankind, God is the God of the entire ecosystem, the entire creation. Um, a God that has particular favorites that you treat uh, differently from other people, that's fine in your, uh, in your shul, uh, in your yeshivas, you can preach that kind of thing. But when you're living in a country like South Africa, or aspiring to a world like South Africa, where we believe that uh, all of God's people are entitled to, um, to the land, um, then I'm afraid, you know, we're really not on the same page. I move from a universal ethic, from a human rights discourse, and you come from a discourse of a tribal God who made all sorts of undertakings in secret when he spoke to whoever the biblical prophet was. And so, uh, yeah, anyway, one final point, a bit of a cheek of you, I think, 
to refer to a single Muslim character, uh, and then based on that, says uh, Islam is on the same page. But good luck to you. All right. I would love to hear your response to perhaps um, what the sentiments of the justice were. And uh, he was quoting text and the sentiment in the texts that he was quoting was no one should uh, be against uh, the, the nation of Israel. Is there no legitimacy to a Bible believing person to believe and support what the text gives them an injunction to do? Well, the point is about any text. The text is believed to be, and for believers it is indeed revealed or given in a particular context. Texts have no meaning outside a context. You cannot take a third century text and, and synonymize what takes um, uh, now as if it's an unbroken a historical link conversation between, of course, I mean, it's very common among the Jews to believe that this eternal community has existed. And so that's fine. At the religious level, I can understand the promises between them and God. The problem is when you translate the biblical people of Israel, the biblical Israel, into a very contemporary, into a 21st century political state. Um, so that kind of tribalism that the Bible addresses, um, it is found in different societies. In our own society, uh, we have debates about tribalism, but you cannot reduce the biblical words, the biblical terms to simple 21st century notions or notions of nationalism that arose only in the 18th and 19th century. Let's bring in Bishop... So the, chief, the Chief Justice spoke. But, I mean, he's caught between, uh, between two different kinds of eggs. At the one level, he speaks as a believer, and I dare say a fundamentalist believer, um, and he's entitled to that. The problem is, um, he spoke in his capacity, although he added this rider, his personal belief, he spoke and he was advertised as the Chief Justice of South Africa. What is worse, of course, is that in front of the court at the moment, is precisely a case that relates directly to the issue that the Chief Justice uh, used biblical verses in support of. But as a believer, he's entitled to his beliefs. I mean, all right. I want to bring in um, Bishop Monusim Bumlana. He is uh, the General Secretary of the South African Council of Churches and uh, an open through and through Christian to give us his perspective. You've been listening to your contemporaries in the panel, Bishop, and you've been listening to the Chief Justice. You've heard the Chief Justice and the, the backlash in the news media and social media, quite frankly. Your take. Thank you very much. Um, I actually, I think I should start off by saying I... I've learned to understand and appreciate where the rabbi is coming from. I first visited Israel following a visit to Auschwitz. That was shortly after the fall of the Berlin Wall with Dr. Ufram Tisna, who was the director of justice and reconciliation at the South African Council of Churches. And we had read the Holocaust, but nothing had prepared us for the experience of Auschwitz gas chambers, where almost a million Jews were gassed to death. So, that for this reason, we decided to go to Israel and Palestine, and we visited we visited a Yad Vashem, a Holocaust Remembrance Center, and 
spend time with families, Jewish families as well as Palestinian families, who could not understand how a nation that had gone uh, to such horror could visit similarly on other people. That really was what we came away from. And we felt that uh, maybe there is something that can be done to make a difference. And when you are talking about what should be the solution, that solution has not yet come. Um, I see of recent, but because this is the last time I visited was just actually last year. And there is a new dimension in Israel now that says, and I think that's what the rabbi, Rabbi Flesher, is, is advancing, that actually Israel is entitled to what they call the land of Israel, as was ruled by Israeli kings of ancient times. That seems to be the direction we are taking now, which really, if, if you interpret it, it means that if they can take the same principles, all Palestinian lands, I don't know where they're going to drive them to. They will also take Syria. They will also take Lebanon. Everywhere where any of those Solomonic and Davidic regimes were will be the place they can control. You cannot use that to govern today's international law. If that is the case, then we should probably revisit all of America, revisit Europe, revisit Africa in the light of the ancient days. It's, I mean, really and truly, it's unthinkable that one nation will be allowed to apply those principles in no one else in the world because the world is one society. But I want to see that and say, this position of the current Israeli government is seriously at odds with the, the, the Declaration of Independence of Israel, which said in 1948, the state of Israel will promote the development of the country for the benefit of all its inhabitants. <clears throat> based on the precepts of liberty, justice, and peace taught by the Hebrew, Hebrew prophets, uphold full social, political equality of all citizens without distinction of race, creed, or sex, guarantee full freedom of conscience, worship, education, and culture, safeguard the sanctity and inviolability of the shrines and holy places of all religions. We know that there are shrines of all three of the Abrahamic faiths in Jerusalem. And that is why... The Pope Francis has said that Jerusalem is actually the patrimony of all the three Abrahamic faiths. And I think that it is a pity that this whole thing is left to politicians and economies between whoever is the president of the United States with the Jewish lobby that is effective at that time and the politicians in Jerusalem or in Tel Aviv. The issue ought really to involve the leaderships of the faith for whom the Holy Land is holy. It is a pity that this whole debate happens without the presence of the Jewish leaders, Jewish religious leaders, Muslim religious leaders, and Christian religious leaders, because that is what makes for them the Holy Land. And I would say that it is a wrong way. I'm going to come from a Christian perspective. Jesus says that the first law is love God with everything you are, the second is love your neighbor as you love yourself. And John writes, you cannot love God if you do not love your neighbor. Who can be more the neighbor to the people of Israel if not the Palestinians? And I believe that, in fact, that for Christians is the more governing principle than the principle of, uh, of, of, of Genesis where Abraham was called out because, in fact, we are Christians. We're not just Abrahamians. We are Christians. That's where we're coming from.
All right. I want to play um, uh, uh, the, the texts that um, the Chief Justice quoted in supporting his claim. Perhaps there's contestation of what he said. We might play the whole thing. But for now, we're going to play just the texts that he quoted. And then perhaps we're going to get a, a response as to the relevance of the text that he has quoted to the situation that is uh, obtaining in uh, the Middle East right now. Listen to this. The first base I give is in Psalm 122, verse 6, which says, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love be. And three, also Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3, that says to me as a Christian, that if I curse Abraham and Israel, God, the Almighty God, will curse me too. So I'm under an obligation as a Christian to love Israel, to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, which actually means the peace of Israel. Uh, Bishop, is there any relevance to the text that the Chief Justice has quoted to the situation we find happening in the Middle East right now? I think the first one is very relevant for today, to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. The question is, what will achieve the peace of Jerusalem? Is it a mutual settlement between Palestinians and Israelis or a violent dislocation and dispossession of Palestinians by Israel against all international law and basic human rights principles? That's exactly where the problem is. And that's why I said, uh, Pope Francis says, Jerusalem is the common patrimony of humanity and especially the followers of the three monotheistic religions. So there can be no peace for the peace of Jerusalem. If we're going to pray for it, then we must work for it. We must act towards it. And the only way to do that is to find a peaceful solution that meets the needs of all in today's world. I think this principle of going back to the conquer, the conquest of, of, of Saul, who was supposed to, the God who said, you must kill all the Amalekites, and got punished for not killing everyone. If, if that's the principle that we're going back to, it is not going to work, and not in the name of Jesus. We cannot do that as Christians today, that you must kill everyone, just because God said kill them. It cannot be. Uh, we're not at this time fulfilling the original conquest of Canaan. That's just where we are. We are in a society that's governed, at least from, for Christians, from Christians' perspective, that's governed by the principle of love. And love, as Paul says, does not seek its own way. Love is accommodating. Love is generous. And there is no generosity in the spirit of what we're seeing happening in Palestine today. All right, the lines are open, 0891 These are just the opening thoughts, and we're getting a little deeper into what we're talking about with the time that we have. But first, let's take a break. Stand by. Across South Africa, online and on radio. SAFM, let's talk. You're listening to a conversation that has been going on for years now, for Decades, dare I say, a conversation about how to bring about peace in the Middle East. And as we are seeing things happening in the Middle East and at the United Nations, it would appear as though the peace that we've been hearing ever since we were young, well, ever since I was born, it's somewhat elusive, especially with what might happen, the plan to annex parts of the West Bank there, which have been, well, opposed by many participating parties, including the United Nations. And so you've been listening to some of our guests who've been giving us some perspective. I'd like to hear yours on WhatsApp, on voice notes, on 
Facebook, on Twitter, 0891-104207-0891-104207 on short message service. It's 41391-41391 on social media at SFM Radio. And the hashtag you can use is hashtag SFM Facts of Faith. Hashtag SFM Facts of Faith. What do you make of the situation there and what would its just solution or resolution look like? to the challenges faced by all involved in the Middle East right now. Um, uh, Rabbi, you've been listening to your contemporaries. It seems as though you're standing alone. Uh, well, you know, it was very interesting stuff that I heard from my my colleagues on the panel. Uh, but I think what, what showed uh, up by hearing them is that they are both very non-Middle Eastern. They really don't belong to this region, and they just seem to not know what they're talking about. First thing Dr. Isaac said that Judaism is tribal, and the Bible is tribal, and the Jewish God is tribal. Well, I've got news for Dr. Isaac. He's a scholar of Islam, but he seems to forget that this region has 22 Arab countries, all Islamic, all very tribal, and the whole region is concerned with God and tribalism. That's our region. And to somehow make Israel into some kind of liberal Western international law country, when we are surrounded by... <clears throat> real tribalism, and that's part of the milieu here, to, to kind of forget about that, is, is really uh, showing himself to be not part of the region. Also, what, what, is, what does it mean there, Rabbi? There's when a lot you, of talk about the Bible here. Rabbi, there's what a lot do you, of talk about the Bible. Excuse me, Rabbi, yeah, what, do you, what do you mean? What do you mean when you say they're not part of the region? Does it mean the people who are not part of the region <clears throat> have no opinion to share about what's happening in the region? Oh, sure, they haven't. They have just that, an then opinion, what do you mean? just lacking of knowledge. That's, an opinion is, is fine. It's just that they, they don't understand that this is indeed a very uh, 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 tribal region. But another part of it is that they speak about the Bible as though that's everything. They speak about the Bible as though the Bible is the only thing that motivates us. We have a country that it has an economy of $370 billion in our GDP. We have one of the finest armies in the world. We have a cultural center. We have flourishing cities like Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. It's not just about the past. It's about the present. We're actually making an amazing country. It's one of the most successful countries in the Middle East. To relegate it to only the Bible is just a way for them to talk in a kind of, you know, a hearty way about what the Bible says. Who, who relegated the to the Bible, Rabbi? Rabbi? The Bible's coming to life. Now, with regard to... One, one more second, let me finish here. With no, b- b- before, petition, before you finish, Rabbi, who relegated it only to the Bible? Well, when we talk about... When we say, well, the Bible shouldn't let you guys do this or that, we have our self-determination. That is our national ethnic self-determination. Israel is the national ethnic state of the Jewish people. What I'm trying to bring it's to your attention there, Rabbi, thing. is there is no one of our panelists who exclusively use the Bible. Both Professor Isaac and uh, also I, Bishop Bumrah. I heard, I heard they from used. the bishop, and I heard both from. Uh, um, I heard also from uh, Dr. Isaac that he. They say, listen, the Bible can't be something that gives you uh, your your uh, uh, the pillars of your statehood today. The Bible is one of the things, but national self determination, our history, our wars, our land purchase, all these things grant us our rights. I want to tell you one more thing. The, the bishop slipped in a word. He said, well, you can't kill everybody. You can rewind the tape, and you can hear him say, you can't kill everybody. Kill everybody? 
What a joke. Israel is the light of liberty in the Middle East. It's the only country with liberal values at all. It's the only one that actually protects Christians, uh, protects decent non-jihadist Muslims. If you want to look in our region, what's really going on, look at Yemen, where, where 10 million people are acutely threatened by famine. Look at Syria, where 10 million people are refugees. Look at Iraq, a failed state. Look at Lebanon, going through an economic crisis. I find that when I hear these things, accusations about Israel's human rights, I think to myself, there's a hypocrisy here. All right. There's something that's missing here. And it, it, there's a hypocrisy which belies an obsession, an obsession with somehow undoing Israel, maybe because it somehow uh, 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 challenges Christianity, that type of Christianity, maybe because it challenges that type of Islam. But whatever it is, it seems like an obsession. Israel's not a place where everybody is killed. It's a place that's thriving. It's a place that's giving light of liberty to the Middle East. And I wish my, my esteemed co-panelists would kind of get real and talk about the real and incredible Israel, which has given opportunities to Arabs as well. You know, when my wife had to get a breast exam, uh, to, and go to a doctor. It was an Arab doctor, an Arab-Palestinian doctor. That's right. Uh, we have Arab-Palestinians on the Supreme Court. We have them in our, in our parliament. So to say that this, this is an apartheid state or to say that it's some kind of a killing state, it's all uh, a hip, hip, hypocrisy and flat-out lies. This is the country of the light of liberty. And Arabs will tell you that street, Arabs on the street will tell you every day, give me Israeli residency, give me Israeli citizenship, because I want to be part of progress and not regression. All right. I want to take some calls for you, gentlemen. Let's go to Stephen Northwest. Good evening, Stephen. Stephen, go. Correct something. Remember here, these people are all fighting for one land, isn't it? They claim it belongs to their father. Let me correct this issue. One, right desert of Paran. That's Genesis 21, 20 to 21. That's the property of Ishmael. It's not the property of Israel. Right? Asset given to Isaac. That's Genesis 24, 34 to 36 by his father Abraham. That is not the property at all of the Palestinians. Right? Land purchase. That's Genesis 23, 20 to 20. So this issue of Palestinians bombing Israel, fighting against and the land that belongs to Isaac. It's wrong. We are not supposed to do that. The father already decided that I'm going to give this land to no one else but Isaac. Why are the Arabs fighting for that? Why do they want to bomb Israel? Why are they always <clears throat> against one thing, the father's will? If I die my, and I leave my son a property, no one, not even UN. Not even Christian. Stephen, have, right have you forgotten that in '48 there was a, a, a conversation that led to a, a supersession of what had happened in the scriptures? Well, I'm aware of that, but it's wrong. You must remember what I'm But, but all parties now. agreed in '48. It's what do you mean no, it's no, wrong? No. Listen, listen, listen <laughs> very carefully. Their father left an inheritance for his son, his Isaac. He says, "Look, my son, I'm leaving this for you." And, and one of these things, one of these things we, we know, it's written. Now, the desert of Paran is, is, a, is a property which already belongs to this boy called uh, Ishmael, which is the boy of the of the other. So what woman. you're saying is, 48 doesn't doesn't matter. Whatever happened in 48 really doesn't matter. Those borders are no, irrelevant. It, Those it agreements don't matter. matter. It will never matter because uh-huh. here we are talking of a will. And why are we bombing Israel? Why okay. are we? after killing the Israelites. Why are we doing that? Why can't we say, okay, now, here's the question. Let's say your father leaves you a car. I bomb you for your father's car. Is that right? 
I don't think it's, it's the same thing. thing. I don't yeah, think it's the same thing that Stephen. But I got your point. I, I hear your point loud and clear, and I'm a guest listening to your point loud and clear. We'll give an opportunity to respond to this. I want to take a break first and then give them the chance to respond. Stand by. Naye Lupondwana on SAFM. Welcome back. We're going to go back to uh, Prof in East London and then take some WhatsApp voice notes, give an opportunity to our guests to respond to all of this. Prof in East London, go ahead. Um, yes. Um, you talking to me? Yes, go ahead, Prof. Are you in East oh, London? Okay. Yes. Professor in East London? Yes. Uh, I just want to ask a question to the rabbi. Israel, when they attack uh, Egypt, all the uh, Arab, Arab countries, they took away Sinai in Egypt and they gave it back. Why they cannot give back Gaza, Gaza and, and the West Bank? Why they want to annex their, uh, their land, but they gave back uh, Sinai back to Egypt? That's my question. You mean the, the Sinai Peninsula? Yes. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, uh, Prof. In East London, let's go to the WhatsApp voice. Rabbi, please note that that's a direct question to you. Let's go to the WhatsApp voice notes, gents. I may believe as well, but anything that causes violence, it's already not good to God. So I'm sure uh, there, there is misconception on when it comes to quoting of. The scriptures. Thank you. As for Chief Justice Mukwen, is out of line, man. He cannot bring his belief, a man of integrity standing on the highest court of our land. And then now he come and preaching us. He must step aside, then go preach in church. We don't want to hear this nonsense. It's kind of apartheid the regime of Israel and murdering Palestine every single day. And you telling me that God promised them. God is it God a juice? So please, man, please don't come and tell me this. Justice Mukwen is out of line. To you and your listeners and your guests, please ask the rabbi, what justification is there when big payloaders, bulldozers come and run down your home and leave you homeless? What justification is that? Please ask your rabbi. Thank you so much from chapter two. All right, we've got two questions directed at your rabbi. You can go ahead and respond. Uh, first thing, with regarding to the Sinai Peninsula, uh, there was a peace deal with Egypt. Egypt wanted to make peace with Israel, and so uh, Israel was willing to give back the Sinai, which it won fair and square in the war. It didn't have to give away that land, but it did so for peace. Some people debate if that was the right thing to do. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. Uh, but that was what Israel chose because it wanted to reach out and, and start to normalize our relations in the Middle East. But with regarding to the Gaza Strip, we also gave that away, and, and that has become a jihadist center of authority against Israel. But when it comes to the so-called West Bank, or what we call Judea and Samaria, that's the heartland of our people. That's where all our holy cities are. If it's, uh, if it's Hebron and Bethlehem and Jerusalem and Bethel and Shiloh and Shechem, these are the holy cities which make up the real core history of the Jewish people. And it also is a place that we use to defend ourselves because uh, that's the high ground. And simply, again, I remind us that we are surrounded by 22 Arab countries, hostile Arab countries, 400, not 40 million, 400 million Arabs around us. But that's not the reason that we hold on, not just because of defense. We hold on to this because it's our land. With right. Regarding to knocking down homes, with regarding to knocking down homes, the answer is very simple. 
when homes are built illegally, like in any other country, you knock them down. And there's an effort to steal the land. That happens in every country. Then there's laws of zoning, and you knock those down. Also, we have a terrorism that is being fed by the Palestinian Authority to the tune of $400 million a year. When a terrorist strikes at Israel, we strike back. We strike back fully strong, and we're never going to back down from fighting against our enemies. And so one of the things that they do is that they destroy the terrorist homes. So, and for the last person who said, you know, anything that leads to violence is a problem, that's a beautiful sentiment, and we all abhor violence, regret violence, and wish it never would come to all right. But there's also defense. You have to defend yourself. I got it's it. I got it, Rabbi. There. I want to bring and in the other Jewish guests. people have been under attack, and now we have to defend ourselves. Thank you very much, Rabbi. Professor, you're listening to all of this and much counter-argument from the Rabbi from what you said. Your, your, your closing remarks. Go ahead. Well, we don't have enough time to go into any of the details, but every single justification that he had used, regardless on whether he liked the term or not, and he appeals to the whole idea that Israel is an amazing country. May I remind him that apartheid South Africa in relation to the rest of Africa was an absolutely amazing country. This is a country that introduced the world to heart transplants. This is a country that introduced the world to brain scans. Apartheid South Africa was the, the beacon of civilization in the rest of Africa. All the, uh, the rest of Africa, the broken terrorism, coups, wars, and so on, the problem wasn't how bad our neighbors were. The problem is that inside South Africa, we had the vast majority of the population being occupied by um, another people um, who, on the basis of their race, regarded themselves superior to the indigenous people. While there may have been, well, some Jews who were indigenous to the land, the whole basis of uh, this guy's uh, philosophy uh, that uh, Israel is a state uh, that must call all the Jews from the, the whole world to come and gather here. This necessarily means that there must be continuous ethnic right. cleansing. You can only build a state for the, the Jews of Professor, the world by eliminating the Israeli, by eliminating the Palestinian people. Got it, got it. Professor, I need to give the bishop an opportunity to give his closing remarks as well. Bishop, you heard what has been said and how some of the comments suggested that you don't know what you're talking about. Your response and your closing remarks. <laughs> yes. I, I, well, okay, let's talk about killing. They're not going to kill off all the Palestinians. Even though today Palestinians are shot at the drop of a hat, they are killed. And today, they are homes are being bulldozed in al uh, right up there by, by, by the Jordan Valley. This is happening. Then let's talk about that. Let's ask the question. Where will all the Palestinians go after these so-called Jewish holocysts have been appropriated by Israel? What it really does mean is that you will not be prepared to have a settlement that accommodates both parties. We, from the Christian perspective, are saying, Sit down, have a discussion, and find common ground. And that's what the two-state solution is supposed to be about. And we're prepared to support that because love provides for all of them to be in one place. But what they are doing now is to ensure that Palestinians have no place. And I promise you, if this succeeds, they will do it to Syria, to Lebanon, and to other countries as well. There must be sanctions against Israel if they go ahead with annexation next week. All right. Thank you very much to all of you. Professor Faridi Sok, thank you. Uh, Rabbi Yeshai Fleischer, thank you. And also Bishop Molusim Bumwan, thank you. From me, Nayelu Pondwana and the team, let's see each other on YouTube, Nayelu Pondwana on Facebook, Nayelu Pondwana. Until then, have a wonderful evening and Godspeed.